Glad you're here, Thank honored you, you're here. Open up your hearts, put your hands together, give a warm Glenwood Springs welcome to Todd White as he comes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Strength, wisdom, anointing. Right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, man. Hey, you gotta give me a hug before you go off here. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Amen. Can you be seated? Thank you so much. I would keep you up here all night because you worship. You guys are amazing. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. I'll probably call you back if you're okay with that, if you don't mind. I really, thank you. Bless my heart. You have no idea the songs you sang tonight are like some of my favorite. And like I'm, but, but they're my life right now. And so I'm like, just, I was down there singing and crying at the same time. So thank you so much. Didn't they do an amazing job? Wasn't that amazing? Amen. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well. I got a lot of things to say and a little bit of time to do it. So how many of you have never heard me before? No way. Oh, I'm so excited. Do that again. You've never heard me before. How'd you get here? <laughs> yeah. So it's so funny because like, well, is there any place I can't walk? I'm good. No matter what, I'm good. Jump off the stage. We're good. Roll. No, probably not. I, I, I can. I'm not gonna. I can. I, I went and ordered a shirt off of Amazon and it came. My wife goes, You're gonna wear that? I go, Oh, you know I'm gonna. Because to me, the gospel is beautiful, it's colorful, it's bright. Like, I, I love Jesus, man. So, like, I love Jesus so much that I don't need you to love me for me to feel good. Oh, listen. There's so much strength to what I'm going to share with you tonight, but I have lived for 19 years, born again, saved, spirit-filled, and nobody has ever rejected me since I've been born again. Now watch. Now, now let me tell you, not everybody agrees with me because not everybody wants to be filled with the Spirit, wants to hear God's voice, wants to get words of knowledge, wants to prophesy, wants to see the sick healed. Not everybody believes that's that even for today. But because they don't believe in that doesn't mean they've rejected me. See, if God says that I have been accepted in the beloved, then how can a man, a woman, a child, a colleague, how can they take away what they never gave me? I, I need you to hear me. This is so important. I'm going to be up and down them stairs, jumping, running. How, how can a man or a woman or a wife or a husband or a son or a daughter or a colleague or a boss take away from me something that they didn't give me? But every time you're silenced with your faith, you allow them to. See, it was good at the first, at the second one. That's not, that's not as good. Oh, I plan to bring real conviction. I, bring, I, I do, because I want to be convicted by what I preach. 
I want to live what I preach, but I want to be convicted by what I preach. And I don't want, it's, very, it's hard for me because I want people around me that convict me. That convict, their lives convict my life. Like, whew, there's a higher standard there. There's a, like Jesus paid a price. He didn't, he didn't pay a price just for me to get to heaven. I mean, if he did, when you prayed a prayer and got born again, you'd have disappeared. You'd have been gone. Clothes on the ground. Oh my gosh, don't do what they did. We don't know where they're going. But that's not the case. Jesus didn't pray. He didn't, he didn't die and raise from the dead so that we could get to heaven. Now, heaven is the destination. You understand? Like, going to heaven one day is going to be glorious. I mean, we've got this little tiny, please don't hear me say that it's not about getting to heaven. Because that's not what I said. I'm saying that he didn't just pay a price to get you there. You've got all this life and window of opportunity here. And if you're just focused on getting there, you will waste this here. You'll be praying prayers like, God, my boss is a jerk. My family is mean. The economy is breaking. I can't pay my bills. This is horrible. Jesus, I'm telling you, I need you to get me out of here to heaven with me and to hell with everybody else. When you pray for Jesus to get you out of here, that's what you're saying. What you're saying is my life is the only thing that matters. And God, everything's going wrong. I don't see it for what it really is. I see it as a large attack that I can't do. The only reason you can't do it is because you're not in there with him. You're going to be in the trial. Do you understand that trials are the nature of Christianity? You know what it says? Don't, don't, consider, it, don't consider it strange when you face these fiery trials. Do you know who said that? Peter. These fiery trials, if need be, what, for the purifying of your faith. Trials purify your faith. So how can you grow in faith? Trials. Well, people are super excited about that. Because it's the trials, the only way, listen, the only way to patience is through the trial. How many of you want to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing? The Bible says the only way to have that is that let your patience be perfected. So perfect patience leads to being perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's in James. James, by the way, was Jacob, who was Jesus' brother. So he said, come on, that says that patience, the perfection of patience is the perfection of everything. This is really a big deal because trials are the things that we hate the most. And what does the enemy nail us with? Come on. How many of you have never been through a trial? I don't think so. How many of you have never had a trial in the last week? I'm telling you, how many of you have not had a trial today? Do you understand this is the nature of Christianity? Do you know that when you squeeze an orange, what kind of juice comes out? What kind of juice comes out? What kind of juice comes out when you squeeze an apple? Oh, so you're interpreting. I wish I could speak. Is it Spanish? Is it? I can't do it. What kind of juice comes out of an apple? Apple juice, that's right. Thanks. Apple juice. Apple juice comes out. If I squeezed an orange into a cup and you drank it and it was apple juice, what would you think? If I squeezed an orange into a cup and it was apple juice, what would you think? That's not only weird. You're spitting that out. You ain't swallowing that. If you took a sip of orange juice and it tasted like an apple, are you going to swallow it? No way. That's like rotten. Something's wrong. Now listen, if you squeeze an orange and every, every fruit produces the, ju the juice in that fruit, it's, 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 you can understand that. Then when Christians get squeezed, everything but Jesus comes out. 
Why isn't that strange? That should be equally, that should be more strange than, than an orange producing apple juice. But it's not strange, it's common. Because the devil knows that if he touches you, you're probably going to blame God. He likes it, actually. He likes to squeeze you, sneak away in the grass like a snake that's never seen. And then people say, God, why? What if it's not God at all? Or God allowed. We put the God allowed in there all the time. Listen, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Do you think he needs permission? Let's not confuse Job. See, we say, Job, well, look, the devil asked for him. Listen, and what did God, what did God do? Before the devil ever asked for Job, what did God do? Because God says, Satan, from where do you come from? From walking to and fro on the earth. Do you think God didn't know where he came from? Do you think God didn't know where he came from? He came, he came to present himself before God. And God said, from where do you come? Ooh, I guarantee you that really made the devil mad. Why? Because God put him here. And then he made man in his image to crush his head. So he said, from where do you come? He said, from walking to and fro on the earth. God says, have you considered my servant Job? Oh, the devil didn't request Job. God put Job up. How many of you would like that? The devil comes before the Lord. Have you considered my servant Todd? I want that. You know why? Because God said about Job, there's no one like him. He's one who shuns you and worships me. The devil wants to be worshiped. And anytime you're in a trial and you don't see and understand who you are, you will worship the enemy by blaming God. Oh, it's so good. I promise you. Because you can never get, listen, trials produce patience. How are we going to get to patience? Trial. How are we going to have patience in a trial? Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Ah, it's hot in here. Listen, when you put somebody on fire, in the fire, nothing changes. But when you put someone lukewarm in the fire, oh, I didn't come here to talk about anything else, buddy. I didn't. I didn't. Because the body of Christ needs to man up and actually know why you are here. 1 John, listen, 1 John 3, 8 defines the mission of the Christian life. And that scripture says, for this reason, Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, was, was made manifest to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus' mission was to destroy the works of the devil. The mission statement of the Christian isn't to get to heaven. If your mission is to get to heaven, you are positioning yourself for God to rescue you, and the rapture is not a rescue mission. It's the pickup for a bride that's made herself ready. The bride has made herself ready. Do you understand that God has done everything and given you everything according to life and godliness so that you can actually fulfill the mission of destroying hell for a living. The mission of a Christian is to destroy hell every day. But if hell comes against you through a trial and you are completely submitted to that instead of submitted to him, there's no possible way that you can come out of there and not smell like smoke. Do I say the trials aren't painful? Absolutely not. They are painful as all get out. There are people that will turn on you. There are people that are best friends that will turn their back on you. There are people that will stab you in the back. 
but they're not their issue. If you got offended by it, you're your issue. That's not happy for most people, man, because this is what happens. The Christian, the Christian mind that's not renewed say, well, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know my life. You don't know my story. You don't know my, no, you don't know what they did to Jesus. I don't want to hear your excuses. I love you, but I will not water this down and pet you. I won't stroke you, keep you in a place, oh, woe is you. Not woe is you. Yea, for Jesus. He created you in his image and in his likeness. He created mankind. Man then obeyed the voice of another and lost the image of God. Lost it. Lost the reality of who, who God was. You weren't just born in sin. Do you understand that you were born not just in sin, but you were born and the enemy completely worked on your mind your whole life. People say, well, I'm skeptical. Like, do you think that's a gift from God? <laughs> well, I'm analytical. Do you think that came from God? Do you think analytic came from God? Do you think God gave you the gift of doubt? That is a gift that you inherited from the first Adam. And we've got the way that seems right to a man that comes into this gospel. We've incorporated Jesus in instead of surrendered. We incorporate him for what we can get from him instead of completely surrendering our life for what he can do through us. And the real, the real issue, I promise you, I don't care where I go, it's the same thing. The real issue is people are not hungry for the very bread of life, for the very word of God that is alive, sharp and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide and separate your soul from your spirit. And your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. I mean, people go to church, and they come in, and they have a worship service, and get goosebumps, and it's awesome. Hear the word, and the word is amazing, I'm sure. But the problem is, is that that will leave you starving. Because what we do is we feed on the word as the world as a smorgasbord, and we taste test Jesus. And taste testing Jesus doesn't enable you to think like him, doesn't enable you to walk like him. And it's, it's crazy because what we've done is we've opened this Bible and we've said, you know, well, I, I'm, really, I'm really not getting a lot out of this. And every time I read it, I feel like I'm just not getting anything. It's the enemy's number one tactic in the body of Christ, I promise you. Well, I feel like I'm not really getting anything. And it's just when I hear the pastor, he just makes more sense of it for me. So then what we do is not read. Or we do this little devotion that's a couple of scriptures and call that like our time with Jesus. You guys all right? I'm going to go deep. I'm going in. I, I promise you. I'm not here to make you happy. I'm not here to please you. I'm not here to like earn Todd White fans. I love Jesus, buddy. And I'm going to preach the pure gospel. And people hate me for it. I like that. Because Jesus said if they hated me. The problem is, is we have a culture that needs to be liked. Look at Facebook, man. Oh my gosh, they liked that I went to the grocery store. Who cares that you went to the grocery store? I went out to the park with my kids. That's great. Did anybody get touched? Did anybody get saved? Did you talk to anybody about Jesus? Did, were you able to share your faith? Were you able just to talk to one person about God? Were you able to just share your faith with one person? Just one. There's a lost and dying world, and I know I'm an evangelist, so I'm here to actually equip the sinners for the works of ministry. I don't know if you caught that or not. The fivefold gift 
pastors, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers. Like, it's powerful, the fivefold. But it says that they, that is for the equipping of the saints, for the works of ministry. And the body of Christ so struggles with that little piece right there. Because some of us grew up Catholic, some of us grew up so uh, there's St. Peter, St. Mark, St. Luke, St. Ant, like all that stuff. But the reality of it is, is that that Bible, this word of God in Ephesians 4, when it talks about the fivefold gift, he's talking about the gifts that God gave to men, that those gifts are supposed to equip all of them, the pastor, the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist, all of them are to equip you first as a saint. And if you don't understand you're a saint, you will live as a sinner. And so this is blasphemy to most of the church, dude. I'm telling you right now. Dude, it gets me in so much trouble when I say dude even. <laughs> but when I tell you that scripture says you're a saint, well, you get saved by grace through faith. Do you understand? You, but watch, the Bible is very clear. He gives a clear distinction between what you were and what you are. He says that you were lost. Then he says you now are, he says you were blind. And now you, he said you were dead. And now you're. The Bible is so clear about all these distinctions. But the reality of a saint is one that is holy and set apart by God. Do you know that we're supposed to allow others to see our good works so that they might glorify God? You're not saved by works, but you will be judged for them. People hate that word. They hate judge. Judge. Only God can judge me. You don't want that. I promise. I see that. You okay if I just roll? You all right? I go to a gym and I love working out. I go to the gym. There's some huge bodybuilder in there. He's got only God can judge me on his chest. I go right up to him and I go, hey, bro, tell me you got Jesus underneath all that mass, buddy. And they growl at me sometimes. They look at me. They, they want to hit me. Whatever. I said, I know why you got that tattoo. Oh, yeah? I said, yep. You were hurt by somebody in the church, man. We're like, how do you know that? I said, why would you put a tattoo on your chest that says only God can judge me? Somewhere, somebody might have tried to give you correction. It might not have been with grace. But somewhere, somebody tried to give you correction. Maybe you're living with your girlfriend. Maybe you're just kind of just sleeping with her, and it's okay, and that's cool, and I'm not saying that you're horrible. I'm saying that once you see who you are, you'll make a covenant with her. Like immediately. Like you'll be like, oh my God, why didn't we do it? It's not just a piece of paper. It's a covenant where God covers us. It's a covenant. Like God made a covenant with me. Now I'm going to make a covenant with you. Like it's exciting. But someone maybe said that and all of a sudden they go right to the tattoo parlor. They leave the church. They say they weren't loved, they weren't appreciated, and they get only God can judge me on their tattoo, as their tattoo. And they go through life upset at the church and believe all kinds of different things, but you have no idea what the judgment of God is. Because if you did, the fear of the Lord would co come into your heart and possess you, and you would be like, oh my God, I don't, I don't ever want to stand there in a place of judgment. I want to stand there in a place of mercy. I want to live for God with all my heart. I want to burn so that nobody has to burn. I want to go after this so that nobody has to spend eternity separated from the Father. It's amazing. I, I'm in love, man. I'm in love with Jesus. 
you can't take away my love for Jesus. You can't kill me and take it away. Watch. The day I die, let me just show you what it's going to be like. It's going to be amazing. Watch. Watch this. Watch. Watch. No, I need you to see this. No, watch it again. Make sure. Rewind it. Watch it again and again. You can try it in the mirror. Why? Because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then it says, then comes the judgment. <laughs> See, we don't even like that stuff. Now, I only, I don't, I pass, I'm in grace. No, you, you got saved by faith through grace. But one day, you're going to stand before him. And you're going to answer for your life. You might think what you want to think. This Bible ain't no joke. But when you stand before him, you're going to answer for your life for the deeds done in your body. Well, I don't believe that. Too late. I just preached it. I promise you. People are like, I'm going to go here top white. I'm going to get equipped. No, I'm here to make you way more accountable than you were when you came in. My job is to make people accountable. Accountable for your life. Because he loves you. But when you get completely hooked on the love of God and you see the reality of this, like God wants to fill you with his full, all of his fullness. Like how big is God? I mean, how big is God? He's more bigger than you think. He wants to fill you with all of his fullness. And it's all according to one thing, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So he wants to fill you with all of his fullness, and it's according to the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. So if you never step in to the reality of what Jesus did in the finished work, you can't step into the love of God. How do we, how do we cast out all fear? How do we cast out, that's right, how do we cast out all fear? Come on, 1 John 4, verse 18, it's... That's right. Perfect love casts out all fear. So if you got fear, it's because of the absence of the perfect love in your life. If you have fear, you have an absence of the perfect love of God. Because the perfect love of God casts out all fear. What if you knew that there was nothing in between you and God? What if you knew that there was absolutely nothing in between you and the Father? Every day, all day long. See, because when you know that, you become possessed by the Spirit of God. And He will completely overwhelm your soul. You will wake up every morning excited instead of, oh, no, alarm shush. You'll wake up like me. Oh, Jesus, thank you. I got my wife beside me, so I got to be quiet, you know. Jesus. I go in my closet and put my noise cancellation headphones on so no one can hear me. <laughs> I, have wo- I have woke up in love with Jesus for 19 years. I mean, like, no joke. I have had no guilt, no shame, and no condemnation for 19 years straight. That's my problem. Listen, like, oh, I was really in trouble before that. And I'll share a little bit. Because you got to know where I come from. Because if you ever, ever, if you don't know, I'm preaching and sharing my heart. But you don't know what I was. You don't know where I was. 
So if, I know, but some, most of these people don't. Because they raise their hand like, I've never heard you. Why are you here? I don't know. Right? So we got to come here, this crazy, dread-headed guy with the crazy shirt on. I love Jesus, but I know that he loves me. It's like I have a, I have a daisy with every petal that says he loves me. Young people don't know. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. There's no he loves me nots. There's no he loves me nots in the gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish. That's not just go to hell, guys. That's perish in your soul while you're here. The biggest problem is the lack of of the renewal of the mind. There was a movie that I went to see, and the movie was called Nefarious. I don't know who saw it. Anybody see it? I told my wife we're going to go see it. She looked it up on the thing. She goes, it's a horror movie, and it's rated R. Absolutely not. Have you lost your mind? I said, no, honey. I said, I know people that have seen it, and I know what it is. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. So it's kind of out of that. But it's the story of this there's a prison that has this inmate, and he's a, he's a serial killer. And the serial killer that's in there had a psychologist that was working with him, trying to deem him whether he was sane or insane. And this guy drove his psychologist crazy, and the psychologist jumped off of like a 20-story building and killed himself. So they hire a new psychologist to come in and deem this man sane or insane. And it just happens to be on the day that he's going to be executed. Now, some of you won't get to see the movie because I'm going to share it with you right now. I'll ruin it. But, but I, would, I would advise all Christians to watch it. It doesn't have a, lar- a huge profanity in it. What it has is an execution scene, and it's pretty nasty. But other than that, it's full-on understanding of the war that we're really in. So this psychologist goes, he's an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. He's kind of a wealthy atheist psychologist, too. He gets in there, and he comes in there, and the guy's locked down. He's got his cuffs on and stuff. Comes into the inner chamber. This guy, it's probably 10 o'clock in the morning. I think it was around the morning time. He's got till 11 o'clock at night to be executed, and this guy's got to decide between then and there whether he's crazy or not. So he comes in. He starts to talk to him. He goes, Edward, my name is so. He goes, you're not talking to Edward. You're talking to Nefarious. He said, Edward's not here right now. And it's a demon named Nefarious that's possessed Edward. It's the best. See, because here's why. Here's why. We so live by what we see. We so live by the way that seems right to a man, and we forget the war. We forget the war. You enter into conflict with a neighbor, and all of a sudden it's a personal battle. You take it personally, and all of a sudden you're offended. The enemy just wants you to be bitter. He wants you to be offended. He wants to get you into unforgiveness because he knows if he can get you there, He can keep your mind just like his. See, the enemy is angry, bitter, ashamed, afraid. He's fully cut off. He's hopeless, depressed. He never has a shot at hope ever, and he wants to produce hopelessness right here. But he wants you to go to church and praise the Lord. He loves it when people come to a building and lift their hands and praise God and then then argue with their wife about where they're going to eat. He loves it. Yes. That didn't mean. They're selfish just like me. Oh, come on. There's the, James talks about it. He says, the wisdom from beneath and the wisdom from above. The wisdom from beneath is sensual 
and demonic. It's full of self-seeking and envy and every evil thing is there. He didn't say some evil. He said every evil thing lies in there because that wisdom comes from the enemy. It's called the way that seems right to a man, and the way that seems right to a man leadeth unto destruction, and destruction is an utter end. So the way that seems right to a man, we have brought, we've been brought up with that all of our life. So then Jesus comes, and you have your time at the altar, which is significant. You repent, you say yes to Jesus, it's powerful. And then all of a sudden, like, you, you are, you are, you know, no more shackles, no more chains. And all of a sudden you're like, I am free to run. And you're doing it. Then you go to work yeah. on Monday morning. Your repentance was at the altar on Sunday. And your guys at work ain't playing with you. And all of a sudden like, guys, guess what? What? <laughs> you're getting this. Do you remember the day when you, does everybody remember? Do you remember the day you said yes to Jesus? Because some of you here never said yes to Jesus. You need to. Your life will change radically. So the day that you said yes to Jesus, it was like this weight came off of you. Like you notice the sunshine, the grass is greener, the skies are, it just depends how dark you were, how twisted you were. I was really twisted and really dark. I was a drug addict for like 22 years. I was a hardcore atheist, hated Christians more than any other belief system on the planet. I practiced witchcraft, Wicca. I did, I did the reincarnation. I did whatever I wanted to do because there had to be something more than this trash. That's how I thought. And so, man, when I got saved, it was <gasps> my whole life has been a lie. <clears throat> it hit me that my whole life was a lie. I lived a lie my whole life. And, oh, my God, you're real. You're real. It's called first love. It's when you realize you didn't even love him or know him or care about him. Then all of a sudden you realize, it's in First John, you realize that he first loved you. And it hits you and you're like, oh, this is amazing. Oh my gosh. Then you got Romans 12, 1 that most Christians won't step into. Which says, therefore, brethren, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your only reasonable and pleasing service. Meaning, my only service to God is that everything between the top of my head and the bottom of my feet now belongs to him, and I'm going to freely offer everything to him. I'm not holding... Listen, it would be sad if you're taught to invite Jesus into your heart, but you hold back your life. I have so many people that say, do you have Jesus in your heart? Do you have Jesus in your heart? And I'm not saying that you're... Because it's with a heart one believes unto righteousness. It says that, it says, it's in Romans 10, it says that if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth, I shall be saved. And that word saved means way more than going to heaven only. Not that, not that going to heaven is light, but it's, it's, it's amazing. You've got this little tiny window right now, and then you've got eternity, and that is going to heaven one day. But when you get there, what do you want to hear? Well done, or look what you've done. The whole, all 13 epistles from Paul, and probably Hebrews, but you can think what you want. I just have, I just think it's amazing because there's so many similarities. We're talking to my friend today about it. 
the reality of this is, is your life now. It's not then. It's now. Do you understand that this life is a dressing room for eternity? <laughs> this is a dressing room for eternity. This life here is a dressing room for eternity. But if you live by the wisdom of the world, you'll waste it. Because the wisdom of the world is what you got grown up with. You grew up with it. People are like, well, I, I grew up this way. That's why the Bible says you must be born again. Because being born again means what you grew up with is no longer who you are. Whether my mom loved me or my dad loved me or whether they didn't love me, whether, whatever, none of that stuff matters. See, see, the reality of your DNA isn't determined by your mom or your dad. See, when you were inside of your mother's womb, she did not knit you there. The Bible says very clearly in Psalms 139 that you were knit in your mother's womb by the father. Like you were knit there by God. Your mom, I mean, they had something to do with it because a man and a woman have to come together. By the way, a woman and a woman can't come together and create a human being. A man and a man can't come together and create a human being. I mean, if you think that's okay, it's only because your mind's not renewed and you're thinking with who you were instead of who you're created to be. It's not okay. Like God loves everybody. But where would creation be if it was Adam and Adam? Where would creation be if God made Adam and Adam? See, this sounds like I'm bashing. I'm not bashing. I'm just talking about biblical truth, scriptural truth, Jesus truth. Like the church has compromised and they've let all kinds of things in. But when they stand before God, it's not, it's not coexist. Oh. On the day when we stand before Jesus, I don't care what you've named your church. I don't even care like what your governor, your, your, your state people for your state, like that whole stuff, when they stand before God, it'll be an awful day. And I'm not preaching against anybody. I'm talking about the truth here. See, what we've done is we've incorporated Jesus in and we've not surrendered to him. So we still have a lot of the world left inside of our thinking because we haven't renewed our minds. So we're still thinking the way that seems right to a man and it's destroying people. And people are siding with this and siding with that because of their feelings. And we are not supposed to live by feelings. We are supposed to walk by faith. We walk by faith and not by feelings. It's not about feelings. Before you got born again, you did like you feel like doing. But when you get saved, you walk by faith. You don't live by feelings. Feelings are deceptive. They're twisted. They're sensual. The wisdom of the world is sensual and demonic. It's full of self-seeking and envy. And everything evil lies in there. We understand. I mean, God's okay with this. No. You say God's okay with it because you've never read the Bible. You say God's okay with it because you think God's loving and, and it's okay and God is love. Hey, he loves me. Yes, he loves you, but his love is without compromise. Come on, come on. He doesn't want you to perform for his love. He wants you to see the finished work of Christ so that you actually become his love. It's not about learning how to love. It's about becoming love. Becoming love comes through great pruning. Like, pruning is a part of the gospel. Oh, I promise you. I'm like a stump right now. You don't see it, but I am. 
I'm serious. But it's okay because my root system is amazing. I am rooted and grounded in God, and nobody can take that away from me. So I get trimmed. I get pruned. I welcome the Father every day. Trim whatever needs to go. Prune and clip. Do whatever you got to do. God, you are the gardener. Come on. Come on. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. It says that any branch that's got to go, he trims. Any branch. And any branch that's bearing a little bit of fruit, he prunes. So either way, you're getting pruned. (laughs) Unless you don't want to grow. If you don't want to grow, then you might not get pruned. And you might not get pruned because you don't read the Bible. But you will get attacked consistently. So you can never, ever put your heart and your whole body and your whole life into this and offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. That means that you crawl up on the altar of God and you don't pull yourself down off because you have a bad time. Oh, come on, man. Romans 12, 2, so valuable, so important. It says, and do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed into the mold of the world. Don't be conformed to religion. Don't be conformed to the world. The Bible says very clearly, it's in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, that you cannot love God and love the world. If you love the world, you can't love God. And if you love God, you can't love the world. There is no in-between. God says very clearly, he's, he's, he's really particular about what he believes. And so we can't, as Christians, afford to believe like the world does. We have to believe like God does. So even deeper than that, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says that the Spirit of God reveals the deep things of God to me, and then the Spirit that's in me actually communes with the Spirit of God. So deep cries out to deep. And then it says at the end, it says, who can know his thoughts? Who can know this? His ways are higher than our ways. It says, but we have the mind of Christ. So he literally gave you the mind of Christ, but instead of nurturing the divine nature, we are nurturing the carnal nature on a continual basis. We're expecting to find God. God didn't move. You did. <laughs> this never goes over well. That's why I love it so much. But I promise you, without the renewal of the mind, there's no growth in Christianity. If, like how many, how many moms in here have had babies? Right? Watch. How many of your kids had a pacifier? They, they used a passy. Or something, or sucked on the thumb, whatever. <laughs> Look at that. Now watch. When your child, when your child gets hungry, and they got that passy, I mean, it works for a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what fixes it? Another pacifier? No. No, either the mama booba, <laughs> or the bottle. There's nothing else that fixes that. Do you understand? There's no way to growth unless that baby feeds. And in, and in Peter, he says, desire the pure milk of the that you may grow thereby. So what happens is because when we get saved, we're not thinking about growing thereby by the pure milk of the word. We're trying to get a pastor to help us grow. And you're putting undue pressure on a leader to try to take you someplace that God has actually given you permission to step into. It's it's the Bible, man. Like, if you have a problem with this, you just have a problem with the word, because it's all the word. I'm telling you it is. I got a pastor in the front row that's... But it is the word. I live in it. But how can we grow if 
if we don't feed? How can I grow if I don't feed? Like, I believe that if we actually knew who we were, counseling sessions in the church would be finished. Because you would have a relationship with the counselor. It's over. Now, we would still, iron sharpens iron, we would still be around and subject ourselves to one another so that we don't get off course because we want to always have fellowship. There's no lone rangers in this place. But the Bible says that if you and I walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship together. We have koinonia. We can hang out because I don't have anything to hide from you. But if I'm not walking in the light, I've got secrets and I can only get so close to you because you might find out the real me. It's so good. What if, like, the real you was really here? One of my hardest things that I hear, one of the hardest things I hear is, man, Todd White, you're the real deal. I'm like, it so baffles me because that means there's very few real deals. That's not acceptable. And usually what they're talking about is leaders. When people say that, they're talking about preachers, leaders, just people. They're not talking about the congregation because we don't usually think of each other as the real deal. We think of the guy on the platform, is he the real deal or is he not? So we're looking at him, but God's telling us to look at us. Here's a good question. Is the life that you're living worth the price that he paid? Is the life that you're, I don't even know why people come back and see me because I don't got nothing. (laughs) I'll promise you, but I live what I'm preaching. I'm not telling you something that I'm not walking out. I'm walking this out. I love God, and all hell hates me. Listen, I get all kinds of stuff, like people are against me, like YouTube. There's so many people that hate me. Oh, my gosh, it's amazing, like, how many people hate me. It's, it's baffling to me, and they say they worship the same God. I, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. I, I, but when Jesus was here, what were his enemies, the world or the Pharisees? Do you think it changed? <laughs> But if you're not preaching the truth and you're not going after righteousness, religion will love you. <laughs> because you're just a lowly sinner and you'll never be anything than a lowly sinner. But God says that all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus paid a price so that you could come out from falling short. He could lift you up from the miry clay, set your feet upon the rock. That the revelation of Jesus Christ would be the solid rock in which you think from. And that you would think from the revelation of who Christ has created you to be. And when you look in the mirror, you wouldn't see yesterday. You would see Christ in you, the hope of glory, staring you back in the face. When I look in the mirror, I don't see my faults, my failures, my shortcomings. If I do something that's not right, and it will never be willingly. It will never be willingly, but if something's wrong... I don't stay in the mess. I immediately obey the conviction of the Lord. He'll convict me. Say, Holy Spirit, that was, oh my gosh, I love you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for showing me. God, show me. And then find the word of the truth of why that thing is wrong. Whatever it is. Small, doesn't matter. We need to catch us the little foxes. We need to catch the little things that cause the little trouble. Because if you mind in the beginning the things that matter in the end, You'll never be overtaken. It's a word called akharit. And the word akharit means to to take care of the little tiny things. Because they're really big in the end. (sighs) I love him. If I make sure that I'm keeping track of the little things. 
And I snuffed them things. I'm fox hunting, man. I'm not even allowed to own a gun, but if I would, I'd, I'd hunt foxes. I have lots of felonies, and I was extradited across America twice and kicked out of the military in that jail my whole life. Like, woo! Yeah, that's who this guy was. But he did. Oh, I'm telling you, he did. It's amazing. I'll share my testimony here in a little bit. But are you getting anything that I'm kind of putting out there right now? So back to this nefarious movie. So you got nefarious. Did he leave? The man was sitting beside. Yeah. Okay. Okay. They what? Okay. Well, we'll pray for her. Okay. We'll pray for her. I've seen Jesus show up big, like so big, so big. Amen. Okay, so, so in this movie, Nefarious, this psychologist meets him, and he says, you're not talking to Edward, you're talking to Nefarious, and he goes, what? And he starts talking about how he's possessed him. And then in the conversations, he said, how can you, I don't even believe in this, but even so, how could you possess a man? He says, through a series of yeses. Oh, my God. I sat in the theater and went, oh, like, everybody's in the theater. I'm freaking out. Oh, my gosh, man. People are like, what? my wife is like, please, honey. I'm like, no! Because that's the problem. The enemy just wants you to give him a series of yeses. And then all of a sudden, you give full permission without you even knowing it. You're going to be possessed by one of two spirits. It's the spirit of the world or the spirit that's from God. The Spirit of God, when you get born again, says, yearns in you jealously. He wants all of you. He doesn't settle for part of you. The enemy wants all of you. He doesn't settle for part of you. The enemy's been defeated. But because of your agreement with the world, you allow the Spirit of anti-Jesus, anti-Christ, you allow that Spirit to come in and to have his way with you. And then your decisions are based on worldliness and not godliness. So he's sitting there talking to this guy. And it's a conversation for two hours between two people. Nefarious and the psychologist. You must go. See, you can rent it right now. But it is, it's the story and it's the enemy. He refers to Jesus as that carpenter. And he refers to God as the enemy. And he refers to Satan as his master. People are like, I don't know if I could. You need to. Why? Because it's that deep, it's that real, and it's for right now. Because this America is under siege right now. It is under siege, and the church has shut her mouth. The church has remained silent. And it's time for the body of Christ to know who they're called to be. So that we don't let the enemy have his way inside of us. But that is going to involve diligently seeking the Lord because God says that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He rewards those that diligently seek him. That means that God becomes my number one. He's not my number two. He's not my number three. My wife can't be my number one. God has to be my number one so that my wife can actually be number one. 
Because if I don't love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind, I can't love my wife because she's my neighbor. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It's the first commandment. Second commandment's like it. Love your neighbor as your... If you can't love God and realize the reality of his love for you, you can't love yourself. And if you can't love yourself, you definitely can't love your neighbor. Because all you see is your faults, your failures, your shortcomings. You see what God doesn't see. See, when you actually come to God and you give him your life and you repent, God takes old things and they pass away. They should name a church this. Hey, we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for her, all right, man? Whoa. We're going to pray for her. Hey, what's her name? Your aunt. What is it? Ida. Ida. Okay. We're going to pray for her right now, okay? All right? Guys, I want you to extend your hands. Come here. Can you level him? Hey. You're all right, okay? Look at me. I told you before service, I love you. Look at me. I love you, man. Listen, I love you. God's going to break some things off of you because he loves you. Because there's stuff that's plaguing you that you've wanted to get free from. Hey, look at me. No one's told me anything. And this isn't a shame. Look at me, man. Come on, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. What's your name? Come on, bro. Right now is freedom time. Look at me. Look at me. Junior. What is it? Junior. 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 My name's Todd. I love you, bro. I mean that with all my heart. I don't want anything from you. But this thing's leaving you, and then we're going to pray for your aunt. Okay? You want to be free? You want to be done? I'm serious, because there's this thing that's plaguing you. Addiction's trying to kill you right now, bro. You hear me? And I know what it is, because it tried to kill me. And it ain't having you right now. You hear me? I love you, bro. I don't want nothing from you. What I, what I want is I want you to see the mighty man of God that you really are. And I'm done with watching people get run over by hell itself. Your wife didn't tell me nothing. I've been up there preaching. But I know who God is. And this thing's been trying to take your life, man. It's made you depressed. It's made you full of anxiety, full of fear, full of anger inside. You even want to be done with your own life, man. But that's not happening. You got any kids? Yeah? Who you got? How many kids you got? Four of them. Okay, four of them? What's their ages? 18, 17, 12, and 7. Okay, all right. I got a seven-year-old. That baby love you? Your kids love you? Come on, man. You've worked really hard your whole life, man. And you're wondering, God, where are you at? Where are you at? I worked so hard, and why would you allow my aunt to go through all this stuff? There's a thief that's coming to steal, kill, and destroy. He's trying to kill your aunt right now. It's not God. It's the devil, man. And he's trying to destroy you. And I'm not letting it happen anymore. I love you, buddy. But you're going to get free right now. You ready? Do you want to be free? Tell me if you want to. Want to? Okay, just keep your eyes on me. All right? Yeah. Oh, buddy, it's going to be a good day for you. Because you know what? You're an amazing man of God. When you read the Bible, you can't understand what it's saying. So you say, oh, it frustrates you. Tonight, it's going to open to you. Amen. I promise, man, she's not going to be the spiritual pants in your family. She's not. Because it's frustrating. It is, because you want to step into that role. You can't step into that role until freedom comes. But freedom's here. He loves you, man. All right, just look at me. Keep your eyes on me. 
Father, thank you in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you in the name of Jesus. I want my freedom. I want my freedom. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Let me pray. All right? Just keep your eyes on me. In Jesus' name, I command you, let him go right now. Keep your eyes on me, man. Because no devil is going to have you, I promise. In Jesus' name, let him go now. I bind and break your power in Jesus' name. I cancel your assignment, and I, I command you to go back to hell where you came from. In Jesus' name, I break addiction off of you right now. Jesus' name, alcohol, I command it to die right now, to break. In Jesus' name, I thank you for freedom right now. Right now, let him go. In Jesus' name, let him go. Say, Jesus, my life belongs to you. I'm your son, and you're mine. Jesus' name. Amen. Give me a hug, man. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for healing for his aunt right now in Jesus' name. I thank you for wholeness in Jesus' name. Kidneys, you be healed right now. Thank you, Father, for a brand new. No more kidney failure. I thank you for a woke kidney right now. Kidneys come alive in Jesus' name. I bind you. No more dialysis in Jesus' name. Thank you for wholeness. Thank you for great freedom. In the mighty name of Jesus, do it, God. You're amazing. We love you. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. God, I thank you for doctors confirmed healing and wholeness in Jesus' name. I thank you for an addiction-free life. I thank you that this man is stepping into the reality of who he's really called to be. God, thank you. No more frustration. I thank you that he's not going to need anything to put him to sleep tonight in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you, man. Amen. 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 So, Amen. he's a good man. He's just been under siege from an enemy that has no mercy. And the only way out of that place is trying to. Drown your sorrows. But sorrows don't go away. They're still there to meet you in the morning. You might stop them for just a moment, but they, they don't go away. Depression meds, bipolar, borderline schizophrenia, all that stuff, all the medicine is a Band-Aid for the real issue. The real issue is not understanding who God created you to be. You can be diagnosed by everything you want. I'm going to tell you right now that 2,000 years ago, all sickness, all disease came from hell. God anointed Jesus, Acts 10.38. God anointed Jesus by the, with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed by the devil. And last, listen, every addiction comes from the same place. It comes from hell itself. Do you understand? So the hard part is if you're in the medical profession or if you're, if you're in that thing. And listen, tonight, I promise you, freedom from addiction. I'm not kidding. Like I'm telling you that this thing's, this is no joke. I see it everywhere I go. I see people free. Because God set me free. So the devil's game is up with me. It's over. Like he tormented me for a long time. And Jesus set me free. 
He set me free so I could destroy the works of the devil every day of my life. So the mission statement of the Christian is 1 John 3, 8, to destroy the works of the devil. That the destiny of a Christian is one day going to be to glory, be glory with him. The destiny is getting to heaven. Your destination is getting to heaven. Your mission statement is destroying hell. You have to not get it confused. We've been taught, pray this prayer, get saved. Your name's written in the, in the Lamb's Book of Life, which is true. The problem is, is we negate our responsibility to reach a lost and dying world while we're here if we're just positioning ourselves to get there. And to get there can't come soon enough. And so we, we like treasure the day that he takes us home. And when we get saved, we're looking forward to death because then we'll finally be out of this world. That's not what God created. He created you in his image so that you could destroy the enemy. God created man in his, in his image to destroy the works of the devil so that he could remind the devil every day that he messed up big time when he did what he did to Christ. The mission statement, like the devil hates this. The, the devil hates that I pray for this man. The devil hates it. The devil hates when I, when I talk to somebody and prophesy a word and, and God touches the heart. The devil hates it. He's doing anything he can to stop it, but he can't. See, because I'm never going to die. I mean, I mean, there'll be a time when I, but then right away. Like, you know how many people threaten? Do you know how many life-threatening stuff I get? Do you know how many death threats I get? I get death threats all the time. People want to kill me. Oh, my gosh, no, please. Don't threaten me with eternity. That's horrible. That would be the worst thing. We don't think like that because we, we're afraid of death. Or we can't wait to get out of here. We're not supposed to be afraid of death. The only reason we're, the only reason we're afraid of death is because we're not truly living. Because if you're truly living, death is just the exit to hear well done. When I say, when I have my last breath here, I'm taking my next glance there. Like, I don't know if there'll be breath. It won't matter. My next sight I'm seeing is Jesus. Like, I'm going to see Jesus. Like, when I go, I'm there... And I know that welcome arms await me. I know that there's nothing in my life that I know is out of order because my conscience tells me whether I'm living in sin or whether I'm not. And if you would keep your conscience sanitized, you would be able to live a place of purity. But in order to get there, you have to understand what righteousness is. Because righteousness is the one thing that God told us to seek first. Matthew 6.33, the biggest chapter on worry. And Matthew 6.33, but you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness seems to be this word all over the globe because I preach it everywhere I go. Righteousness in some countries just means justice. Like in Brazil, it just means justice, which is, which is true, but it's not intimate. Right? Like, like I, was, I, I was in trouble with the law, right, all the time. If I went to a courtroom and the judge said, I'm going to let you go this time. Don't ever let me see your face again. The last thing I want to do is have a relationship with the judge. So in Christ, when we get saved, God wipes everything away. The problem is, is the last thing we want to do is enter into relationship with him because we think everything's there. But it's not there. It's an intimacy. 
righteousness, Jesus, it says Jesus, who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, or 5, verse 24, it says, right in that great new creation chapter, it says, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin, so that I might become the righteousness of God that's in Christ Jesus. Which means Jesus, who never sinned, who walked out the law, who walked out 613 laws and 10 commandments, never broke one his whole life, never sinned. On the cross, it says the sin of the world was laid upon him. Not just your sin, not just my sin, the world's sin was laid upon Jesus, who never sinned. So much was laid upon him that he actually became sin. Body of Christ struggles with this, but I don't. I don't because it's true. Scripture for me, if God said it, it's true. There's no question. Well, I know what he says, but. No, that's a devil. That but is a devil. Buts and what ifs are devils. Be very careful. It's, it's demonic strategy to get you to question God's word. Same thing, God, same thing Satan did with Adam, with Eve. Did God really say Got him to question God's word, and where did that get us? Do you think that the enemy's up to new tricks? He's up, look, watch this. Here's a famous one. If God said you're forgiven, why are you still thinking about it? <laughs> Biggest trap of hell, your past. What if, what if you woke up today and you had no past? It's so foreign to the church. What if... You woke up today, and God didn't see you for yesterday. This is pretty deep, but it's pretty, it's just the gospel. If Jesus made old things pass away, what was encapsulated in old things? Everything. That's right. Everything. So if everything passed away, and all things became new, why can't we believe it? The enemy's trap is right there. Because if he can get you focused on something that God forgave and forgot, he can keep you bound to a lie for the rest of your life. And then your yesterday always becomes today. And then tomorrow becomes yesterday. And you're constantly on a hamster wheel trying to get free from something that you've already been set free from. And you're inside of a vapor prison. It's not even real. Either scripture's true or God's a liar. And I don't think any of you would say, unless you're an atheist, that God's a liar. But tonight you won't be. Because God's amazing. He'll get you. He loves you. He does. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. The reality of this is that when I got saved, I came out of so much darkness, so much tragedy, so much horribleness. That when I got saved, it was at, it was at the edge of gunfire. Like, people tried to help me, but I didn't, I just kept running, kept running. Can I share my testimony with you real quick? We're early, 744. You said I got to 11, didn't you? Here's my problem. When my heart starts burning, I really want to go till it, till I can sense where it's time to land. But, but the airplane hasn't even, we have, we don't even see the airport yet. I just want to let you know. It's, it's not circling, it's still, it's climbing. It hasn't, even, it hasn't even gotten to where it needs to go yet. You know when they say you've now reached 35,000 feet? 
We're climbing right now. We're still climbing. Just want to let you know. But if you get done before I do, I love you. And I'm going to come here tomorrow morning again. If, who knows? We might just go all the way through. I love him. He's amazing. He wants us all healed. He wants us all free. He wants us all delivered. As a matter of fact, when you prayed that prayer and you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that all came available right now. Because when it says that you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you shall be saved, that word saved is a Greek word called sozo. And sozo means saved, healed, delivered, protected, made whole, kept safe from harm to do well. Come on. All of that is in that word saved. So when you got saved, you had the ability to be completely delivered right there. When you confessed, you have the ability to be completely free from any addiction right there. When you got saved, you have the ability to be healed of everything that ails your body physically, mentally, right then. Like God, he's made it available. Sometimes it's not taught that way. It's taught pray a prayer so that your name can be written. We get somebody saved. We move on to the next one. But there's the saved, then there's the discipling. So when you get somebody saved, if they don't find out what they got saved to, they'll still live in where they got saved from. And you can't afford to live in what you got saved from because that's no longer you. But you can get saved and have that true encounter with Jesus and never understand what you got saved to. And all of a sudden, your life is just tormented by things that you wished you'd never done. The enemy's number one thing is to remind you of things you wished you'd never done. He wants to produce guilt, shame, condemnation, and regret. Guilt says you're not forgiven. Shame says it's still who you are. Condemnation says you're worthy of judgment. So the enemy wants to make you guilty, ashamed, and condemned. It's the story 